Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Good morning. I'm Doug Krisner. And I'm Brian Curtis. Here are the stories we're following today. Minutes from the Fed's June meeting reveal that officials were somewhat less united than their unanimous decision had suggested. Some participants indicated that they favored a quarter point rate increase, but they went along with the move to leave policy unchanged. Those favoring a hike cited tight labor markets and relatively few signs that inflation was slowing, slowing towards that goal of 2%. Now traders are betting that the Fed will likely hike rates uh, in uh, the meeting later this month. We heard from Evercore or ISI founder Ed Hyman. At this point, the one more is baked in the cake. I think anything from now is a mistake. They're just creating a deeper recession uh, or the more uh, likelihood of a recession. Uh, but, um, at, you know, five and a quarter uh, with the bond yield at uh, 380, uh, they're pretty much done and inflation slowing. Fed officials will get to analyze two key U.S. economic reports before the next decision. We'll get the June employment report on Friday and readings on consumer prices on July 12th. The Fed meets next on July 25th and 26th. Well, U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen will be visiting China at a time when tensions between Beijing and Washington are very high. We have more from Bloomberg's Ann Cates. Yellen's goal is to find common economic ground and open communication channels between the U.S. and China. And it's the first major test of a policy she outlined in April that is geared toward defending U.S. national security without trying to hold China back economically. Yellen's trip comes days after China imposed restrictions on exporting two metals that are crucial to key technology industries. And the mission comes exactly five years after the Trump administration imposed tariffs on the first wave of more than $300 billion worth of goods from China. In Washington, Ann Cates, Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. The People's Bank of China is flexing its muscles on options regarding the slide in the yuan. Bloomberg's Yvonne Mann has the story from Hong Kong. A commentary in the PBOC-backed financial news says China has ample tools, even if the yuan enters a panic slide. It's part of a campaign to reassure investors. The tools include the foreign exchange risk reserves ratio, banks, FX deposit reserve ratios, and the so-called counter-cyclical factor. That's used in determining the PBOC's daily reference ratio. The Chinese currency has recently slid towards its weakest level in 15 years against the dollar. The commentary says China's yuan market is resilient and that forex levels are stable. In Hong Kong, I'm Yvonne Mann, Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. We go to Alibaba next. The company is looking to work with its home province of Zhejiang to develop artificial intelligence and the digital economy. Alibaba CEO Daniel Zhang saying that digital economy has entered a new age with artificial intelligence sweeping the world this year. And he says that Alibaba wants to help build Zhejiang into a world-class digital economy cluster. There are not many details here on what the plan would be other than to create a better business environment. However, the 
agreement does show a degree of official backing for Alibaba's efforts, and that may provide a little bit of a boost to investor sentiment on that front. Uh, the company is pushing back against the perception that regulators were out to restrict Alibaba's growth. Brian? Well, back in the United States, there are signs of a big comeback in auto sales after the just-completed second quarter. That story from Bloomberg's Tom Busby. After a few rough years, the auto industry is now back. All the major automakers posting their June and second quarter sales data this week. And so far, despite inflation and higher sticker prices, blowout sales thanks to pent-up demand and dealership lots that are full again. Sales of General Motors up nearly 19% from a year ago on big sales of the Chevy Suburban and the Trailblazer. At Toyota, they were up 7% on demand for Camrys and RAV4s. And at Stellantis, up 6% thanks to Ram pickups and Jeep Grand Cherokees. Ford is out with its second quarter figures on Thursday. I'm Tom Busby, Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. Doug, I don't know if the auto market can serve as a microcosm for what's happening with the consumer, but you look at at uh, loan rates there, it'd be like 6 to 10% to buy a car, and it is not stunting the demand. Look at these sales that we've seen, and if you look at the stock of, you know, everybody crows about what Tesla has done, but even General Motors has gone from 32 to 39 just here in about the last month or so. So you're talking more than a 20% gain. Let me just get the exact gain for the last month. It is... Uh, over the last month, up 16% in uh, in the market. So it shows you that um, there are parts of the economy, maybe not manufacturing, but parts of the economy <laughs> that are working pretty well. Well, and you didn't even mention uh, the story on BYD in China, right? The incredible mm. sales growth that company is seeing on the mainland, which then kind of takes us to the visit of Janet Yellen to Beijing. It's going to start a Thursday. We know, I think we can agree, Brian, that the relations are frayed. I think the U.S. and Europe as well have both realized the vulnerabilities of the dependency that the West has created in dealing with China. The question now is how much decoupling is really possible? Yeah, I mean, I think finding common ground is easy because the relationship has so many layers to it. Uh, but how do you turn the, the aircraft carrier around? That is going to be, I would say, nearly impossible. But you'll, you, you get a sense that investors will appreciate the effort. Mm. Uh, it won't be easy. Uh, but Yellen is pretty, you know, she's pretty good on this type of level. She's uh, a pretty good communicator. She's a bit like Liu He on the Chinese side. You know, not exactly sharp elbows. Interesting comment from uh, David Lovinger today over TCW. He was saying it's, uh, to him at any rate, shocking how little the U.S. and Chinese governments have been speaking at all levels. And he kind of pointed to the fact that key economic officials in both countries really don't know one another all that well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it's, it ebbs and flows. Uh, it feels like it needs to go into a period where it flows a little bit. Uh, but anyway, very nice segue from the car talk to the China talk. <laughs> I'll have to be on my toes to keep up with you today. Uh, all right, now it's time for global news. U.S. President Joe Biden expressing his full support of Sweden for NATO admission. Ed Baxter with Global News in the 960 Newsroom in San Francisco. Ed? All right, Brian Wright at their bilateral meeting today at the White House. Biden expressing that support you mentioned. And Prime Minister Ulf Christensen saying uh, that his full desire is to be a full contributing member. Sweden is going to make our alliance stronger and has the same value set that we have in NATO. And uh, I'm really looking, anxiously looking forward for your membership. We do seek common protection, but we also do think that we have things to, to contribute with, to 
to be a security provider for the whole of NATO. So. Now, that next NATO summit is next week in Lithuania, and Turkey's rebuffed U.S. attempts to link a request to buy F-16 warplanes to Sweden membership. The deadlock has continued for more than a year, and Turkey has downplayed Sweden acceptance as a possibility next week. It's being reported today that China's President Xi Jinping personally warned Russian President Vladimir Putin against using nuclear weapons in Ukraine. Telegraph reporting it happened in their face-to-face meeting in March. The report says it indicates underlying Chinese misgivings about the Russian invasion despite public tacit approval. For two days in a row now, measures used by climatologists say the record for hottest day ever recorded on Earth has been broken. Two days in a row, Monday 1st, uh, then yesterday, even warmer, and they say today worldwide could even be warmer still. Now, NOAA has not seemed uh, deemed it official as of yet, but says likely the hottest in several hundred years and probably more and maybe ever. Experts on global warming say they are alarmed but not surprised and the warmer weather could be contributing to five shark attacks in new york over the holiday weekend this more than half the number of total attacks in all of last year george gorman long island regional parks director says the coast has become a new feeding ground we've seen bait and bunker fish which are the feeder fish for the larger fish all along the shoreline and he says they have to boost oversight we've increased the amount of drones we have on the beaches at long Island State Park beaches, as well as wave runners or jet skis so that we have lifeguards in front of the waters patrolling. He says it appears to be the new normal. Hong Kong's National Security Police arresting four men who'd been members of the now disbanded political group Demistosis, uh, SCMP, reporting a concerted effort to keep pressure up on the now-defunct protest movement. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy is touting his $54.3 billion budget as having the largest safety net in the state's history. In an exclusive Bloomberg radio and television interview today, he says it prepares for the future. The fact of the matter is I do expect that the economy will soften and when you look at our big drivers of revenue corporate business tax personal income tax sales tax we monitor those literally on a daily basis and we think we've got a big enough surplus and enough latitude in this budget that we'll be able to withstand uh, a softness and frankly come out the other side of that Uh, stronger than ever before. Murphy also said he'll continue to participate in the fight to get Washington, D.C. to do something about the salt tax battle, saying it punishes New Jersey, New York, and California disproportionately. Global News, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in over 120 countries in San Francisco. I'm Ed Baxter, and this is Bloomberg. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. 
I'm Brian Curtis in Hong Kong, alongside Rashad Salamat. Our guest is Chuck Camello, President and CEO at Essex Financial Services. Chuck, in looking at the U.S. economy, we've seen a little bit of a change in the last month, particularly as relates to the market. I just mentioned, you probably heard us chatting there, Doug and I, about the auto market. GM up 16% over the past month. The Qs only up 4%. Yet everybody, all they're talking about what a great first half it was, and there's no doubt about that. The NASDAQ and the NASDAQ 100 have soared over the first half of the year. But in the last month, things have changed. Does that continue? Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. And I, I think that what you just described is is what we've been, you know, hearing and sort of seeing about this broadening of the market where, you know, obviously with NASDAQ finishing the first half up over 32 uh, percent and the S&P 500 up, you know, close to 17. But, you know, the the equally weighted uh, S&P 500 was just up about a little over seven. So I think what you're seeing over the past month, especially also even in small caps, is starting to see a more broadening of the market, which generally should be uh, a a healthier thing looking into hopefully a good second half of 2023. But there certainly are a lot of headwinds and a lot of obstacles in the way. Chuck, I mean, there was very little breadth in the markets. I mean, there's only five stocks which drove the NASDAQ 100 to where it's got to this year. So I mean, it's no point chasing this, surely, unless I suppose you ignore those five. Listen, I, I think you probably ignore those five at your own peril, given you know their historical performances, and obviously they had a really, really tough last year in 2022 and 2023 with uh, you know AI and everything else um, you know technology-wise behind them. But true, I think there's a, a lot of other areas you can allocate assets to, um, especially in given the very vast difference in valuation of small cap versus large cap value versus growth. Um, listen, those, the, the, the tech stocks, whether it's five, seven or nine, you know, <laughs> that we all know the names of, um, you know, they're, they can, they're great companies. Look at Meta today, you know, up again, I think 3%. Uh, with their, with their, you know, they're planning on rolling out a competitor to Twitter. But I mean, it's it's really just, uh, you know, a pretty wild time to be in technology. But again, I think the market also gives you other really interesting areas to invest in that haven't had this kind of run that you've seen. Away from the market, uh, as a reflection of the economy, what what tells the more apt story? What's happening in the auto market, as we mentioned a few moments ago, versus manufacturing? Well, I think they're intertwined, to be, to be honest. And I, and I think, you know, you still have a very strong U.S. consumer that's able to, you know, to look, especially whether you're looking at new autos, used autos, um, obviously talking about new. But, you know, the other thing that's out there is there are some really attractive financing rates. I mean, yes, depending upon your credit and depending on what you're buying. But, you know, I've seen rates for financing as low as 0.9% for three years and 1.7 or 1.9% on new uh, GM trucks. So, I mean, there, there is a market out there, and the U.S. consumer continues to be extremely resilient. And I think what you just mentioned about autos is another great example of the resiliency of the U.S. economy, because even in the face of higher rates, autos, anything well, that's financed, is generally yeah. the first thing that's going to bear the brunt of this Fed increases. That's my point, is you'd think that autos would be suffering with these high interest rates. Uh, uh, and, and if you look at manufacturing, it really is suffering. I mean, the PMIs have been in the mid to low 40s. If you look at Chicago, if you look at the broader ISM that was just out a few days ago, uh, it seems to be a completely different story than what you see in some consumer activity. 
A hundred percent. And that's the biggest conundrum, right? It's this, this economy has been so resilient, but it's, it's, if you look at different parts of it, it tells a different story, which again, I think is what's complicating the Fed and their decision. And, and again, I think with this decision in June to pause to sort of see what the impacts are, but you know, every, every week, with a different number, you're, it's, a lot of them are telling two different stories. You know, so you you got some good news on inflation with this expectation as consumers look forward. The most recent report that just came out said people expect inflation to be back down around 2019 levels, which for the Fed is a great thing, but the numbers don't bear that out. So it's it's really a fascinating period of time that we're in, but one that makes it very difficult for the Fed, which in turn makes it very difficult for the markets. Well, Chuck, I mean, you know, this is the conundrum which is facing all these Western economies, essentially, for central banks. And uh, what it is, is that, you know, you've got this economic resilience in the face of the cost of borrowing continually rising, which means that they're going to have to go even higher, which is not exactly a helpful backdrop for equities, surely. No, that's 100% correct. That is the biggest challenge, right? So I think without a doubt, I personally, I think they're, the Fed's going to, you know, uh, they're going to increase rates in July. We got that coming up, uh, I think, the, you know, 25th, 26th, I think in July is the next Fed meeting. Um, and listen, that is the big conundrum in that to, they have one tool to apply, and that is to, to crush demand. And, you know, really, the other thing that's making their life very, very difficult is the labor market. You know, employment and the jobs picture is extremely strong. And given the importance, obviously, to, to each individual consumer's uh, pocketbook in terms of their, their job, uh, that picture is extremely strong. So, yes, the, the market, though, I think, realizes what the future may look like. They've baked some of these Fed increases in, even these the, uh the meeting minutes that just came out really weren't a huge surprise to, to I think, people that were paying attention, um, you know, in terms of what that last meeting was like and where they wound up, and more importantly, how they got there, right? I mean, it was a unanimous decision at the end, but there were obviously some people there would have been very comfortable raising rates a quarter of a point, and quite candidly, they probably had good reason, too. Let's switch to another discussion, uh, U.S.-China. There's a lot of, I think there's a huge gap between de-risking and decoupling. But every time the U.S. says de-risk, China says, you mean decouple. Uh, do you expect much out of the Yellen meetings this week? Yeah, that's that's one of the biggest wild cards, I think, going forward when you look at geopolitical risks. I mean, you know, our... You know, our relationship with China is so important on a lot of different levels, but so fraught with problems on every other level. Um, I personally don't expect an awful lot, you know, from the Yellen visit. Um, I think it's good that it's happening, but these issues with, um, you know, the, the U.S. obviously restricting supply of chips and, you know, with ASML now with the Dutch, um, you know, and um, China's reaction in terms of limiting materials um, and minerals coming out of China that support, you know, obviously chips and national defense and things of that nature. That is a very, very difficult knot to try to untie. And, um, you know, it's, it has a lot of ramifications. I, I, smarter people than me hopefully can figure it out. But um, it seems like a very, very intractable problem right now, which is, is, I think, one of the biggest headwinds going into the rest of this year. Chuck, I know we say this every uh, few days before that uh, first Friday of every month, and I'm talking about the jobs report. How important will this one be? I think it's inc- I think it's incredibly important. And to your point, it's always important. You know, last uh, the last jobs number was what I think it was three hundred and thirty three hundred thirty nine thousand new jobs. Past prior months were raised upwards of a hundred thousand jobs. Um, it's I think it's the biggest 
it's absolutely the biggest thing that's going to be happening. And and honestly, when you look at all the talk about recession, the one missing piece of that is labor and is employment, and that just hasn't happened. So um, I don't know. I think it's going to be another strong number personally. We'll see what Friday brings us, but it's going to – it, it, it's going to be a huge bellwether for to make the Fed's job a lot harder or a lot easier. Okay. And I, I think it's probably going to make it harder. Okay, 30-second elevator pitch. Give me your number one call at the moment. For oh, investing. boy. So I would say – I would. I would say the number one call at the moment is to take advantage of areas of the market that haven't performed well. The, the vast disparity in valuations between small caps and large caps, value versus growth. And again, be, be choosy when we're talking about value, not regional banks and things that might still have some problems. But I certainly think looking at small caps, value, and some international exposure, given how far the markets run, um, would, would be a very nice addition to someone's portfolio. And again, if your technology stocks have run, there's nothing wrong with trimming some winners. It seems to be something yeah. we forget to do. But okay. I would take a little bit of money off the table with tech. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Asia, your morning brief on the stories making news from Hong Kong to Singapore and Wall Street. Look for us on your podcast feed every day on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcast. You can also listen live each day on Bloomberg 1130 in New York. Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Brian Curtis. And I'm Doug Krisner. Join us again tomorrow for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Asia. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com enterprise data to learn more.